Cryptocurrencies have seen a surge of value recently. People are starting to see that Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies are not just for speculation. At worst, they are a store of value, like digital gold. At best, they are a tool for micropayments, smart contracts, and an entire decentralized financial platform. Coinbase is a company for buying and selling cryptocurrencies. This episode is the first of three interviews with different members of Coinbase. In this episode, Linda Shi and Jordan Clifford explain why cryptocurrencies are important and how products that Coinbase builds make cryptocurrencies easier to use. This is the first in a series of episodes about Coinbase, and tomorrow we're going to discuss anti-fraud with Supes Ranjan, Director of Data Science at Coinbase. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this series and any other suggestions or feedback you have. You can send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. This episode, this series can be thought of as a sequel or a continuation of the series that we did with Stripe uh, a few months back. You can listen back to that episode. We did three different episodes with Stripe, and it was really popular. I hope we do the same with this series, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Linda Shea and Jordan Clifford work at Coinbase. Guys, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about a variety of different cryptocurrencies, the cryptocurrencies that Coinbase supports. Let's start off with the broad definition. What is a cryptocurrency? So broadly speaking, a cryptocurrency is a digital asset that is secured using cryptography. So, so cryptography gives us a lot of primitives that we can use to, as building blocks to create an overall system that that administrates a digital asset. So that's, that's a cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And what's the blockchain? So a blockchain is widely misunderstood. A blockchain really isn't enough information to describe almost anything. But a blockchain, generally speaking, is a chain of blocks, just like it sounds. Each block contains a list of transactions or state transitions for the, the units of account or the tokens. So on the Bitcoin blockchain, we store transactions and each transaction has inputs and outputs. And that transition from input to output just tells tells the whole network that these coins have moved from one place to another. And we aggregate those transactions into blocks and we have each block reference the last block. So it's an append-only ledger that gets created. Linda, why is it useful to have a variety of cryptocurrencies? Because people have been talking about Bitcoin for a while. Now there's a lot more cryptocurrencies that have made it, well, a few more at least, that have made it into the mainstream or the mainstream discussion as far as engineers at least. So what's the use of having a variety of cryptocurrencies? Yeah, so I think that everyone just has different ideals on what they want out of a cryptocurrency. So it started with Bitcoin where I think everyone wanted to have a way for a decentralized source of money where you could send money from one person to another. It's instant, global. And the problem with that some people had with Bitcoin was also that they didn't want all their financial transactions shown on the blockchain because every single transaction is public. So you had a group of people that also valued privacy. So then you started having interest in other privacy-focused currencies like Monero and Zcash and Dash. And so you, you had that privacy group. And there was also people wanted more powerful digital currency, so the ability to write conditions in. And so that's where you kind of had, had smart contracts coming along. So that's where Ethereum came along. And there's also other 
other ones like Tezos, where people are getting interested in being able to write conditions, being mm-hmm. able to write decentralized applications. So it's it's all different kind of use cases out of it. So all of them, I think, can coexist together. And as you have more infrastructure for inter-blockchain connection, you can actually just move freely between blockchains, I think, in the future. But it's just a matter of, in that specific use case, what you want to have out of your digital currency. People sometimes get tripped up because they don't understand why cryptocurrencies had value in the first place. So when Bitcoin was first instantiated, the people who were buying into it, why were they doing that? Like what what incentivized it? So the earliest days, Bitcoin was extremely fringe. It started out out of... It came out of a cypherpunk mailing list and it, Satoshi Nakamoto, which is a pseudonym for the creator or creators of Bitcoin, kind of got some curious people into this purely as a, as a total experiment. The, for the first year or two, Bitcoins had almost no exchange value. People would give, give, toss around thousands of them like they were nothing because they were nothing. And then only through a process of kind of just experimentation and People use seeing it as a toy. Did it finally emerge as an actual medium of exchange? So it is kind of an interesting chicken and egg problem that Bitcoin got over purely through curiosity, I think. I feel like the first use of Bitcoin was essentially speculation slash curiosity. Let's tinker around with this thing. And we've gravitated towards a place where now the primary use of Bitcoin is store of value, I think, or maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. What's the utility of Bitcoin today? The utility of Bitcoin today is a money that lives independent of other entities. So there's no banks, there's no governments, there's no intermediaries, there's no custodians required. So that really allows us to do bit money in a peer-to-peer way, purely peer-to-peer. So... This opens up all kinds of possibilities for new markets to open, new market corridors, all kinds of transactions that just never would have been allowed or never were feasible under the old system can now happen. So we have ways for any two parties in the world to do business with each other without trusting each other and without trusting a third party intermediary. So this is really a revolutionary in in the sense that now we can transfer value over the internet without any trust. So this disintermediation of the financial system is something that we're all very excited about here. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand why Bitcoin is useful for sending money around. There's also secondary capabilities of it where you can send messages that are not just financial transactions. You can at least send information. So like, I guess, is the Bitcoin blockchain useful for sending messages that are not financial transactions, or is that just like a secondary aspect of it? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. So at its core, Bitcoin is very useful for this type of thing. So the way Bitcoin is structured is it's nobody coordinates with each other. Everybody acts selfishly. And out of this, we have this append-only immutable ledger that just get, continues to move forward as the as time marches on. So the way it's constructed is blocks are added and they're provab- it's provably hard to add a block over and over and over. So the deeper into the blockchain you have your money transaction or even just a bit of information that you want to keep as a permanent record, as, you, as time marches on, it becomes impossible to reverse the, those records. So as a, as a way to create an audit trail, as a way to monitor your supply chain, as, as a way to really record anything that you want to stand the test of time, 
the blockchain is perfect for for storing it in a way that will never be tamperable. Mm -hmm. The Bitcoin blockchain. Yes, the Bitcoin is the most secure, largest blockchain as of today. Mm -hmm. So, Linda, where does Coinbase fit into this? Why do I, if we've got this big decentralized open source world of transactions, what is the purpose of Coinbase? Yeah, so you definitely need a way of getting into this world of decentralized currencies. So Coinbase, we see as the fiat rails for this. So we are the trusted place where people can link up their bank account really easily and buy and sell digital currency. At the same time, uh, not everyone is able to understand how to store their private keys. So we're able to be a means for people to like easily store their funds through us and feel that their funds are safe. So I, I think that Coinbase is really important for getting mass adoption to happen because a lot of less technical people are not going to want to you know learn all this stuff of how to store these different digital currencies hmm. now bitcoin was the first currency that coinbase supported what was required to implement the support of bitcoin for coinbase yeah so it's definitely a lot of regulatory and legal work especially because you have to have a conversation with regulators and law enforcement and banks to say, okay, here's what Bitcoin is. This is why it's not just used by people buying drugs on Silk Road. This is actually a really valuable use case for people doing remittances to get paid out in Bitcoin in, in their other countries. So we had to form that narrative. And so there's a lot of work involved by our compliance and legal teams to try to get that trust of Coinbase and wh why they should be willing to support Bitcoin too and how we could just work with them in general on uh, and just understanding like exactly like what is Bitcoin, what does the blockchain do? So there's a lot of, of that kind of work. And just to add on to that, uh, what it actually took to get it off the ground was a lot of security key management work. So one of the things we pride ourselves here on at Coinbase is being security first. Security trumps everything else. So we we take a lot of precaution to make sure that no single person has control of our cold storage. We geographically distribute the coins. So this key management solution is really what allows us to store customer funds in a, in a safe way. And then uh, we also had to do payment integrations with our banks. So, you know, we, current banks typically use ACH. So we had to get that stood up and, and, and operating uh, to get the things off the ground. The second cryptocurrency to gain serious traction was Ethereum. Ethereum is a platform for running decentralized applications why does the use case of decentralized applications, I mean, I can see why we would want a decentralized application for fault tolerance and so on. Why Why does that use case require a cryptocurrency? Yeah, so I think that, so decentralized applications are really important because you just don't want a centralized source where they're the ones controlling everything that's coming in and out of it because they can get shut down. They could potentially be corrupt and, and be the middleman or take um, exorbitant fees. So it's with a cryptocurrency, you're able to have like what Jordan mentioned, peer to peer exchange, like people are able to exchange information between each other. You could have forms of decentralized governance where um, each person that owns part of the cryptocurrency, so they own digital currency, is able to vote on a piece of the decentralized application. So I find that really important mm. um, because how else would you be able to have an exchange of information like that um, mm. in a decentralized manner? Right. So what's an example of an application that I would want to run on Ethereum? So an application I find really interesting is Augur. Augur is a decentralized platform for prediction markets. And so the way Augur works is essentially you have um, people that hold their tokens rep. 
and people that hold rep are able to vote on the outcome of the prediction markets because you need to have you need to have a source of truth like what was the outcome of the prediction market and so otherwise in the past prediction markets have used centralized sources and they've said like okay we're going to pull from this database or we're going to just have someone arbitrarily say whether this event happened or not and with with augur you have these token holders essentially voting on the outcome of these events and actually determining what happens or not. So in in that sense, you know that there's not going to be some corrupt source who's who's cutting everyone off and saying this is what happened. So in that sense, I think decentralization is really powerful for prediction markets. Mm -hmm. So we jumped forward there to token. So Ethereum has Ether, which is a cryptocurrency, and then people build on top of Ethereum with tokens. So they issue their own currency can what do you explain what like so what's ether used for what's a token used for i guess maybe we should define a token and define ether separately mhm yeah so ether i just you can just think of as the native currency within mm-hmm. ethereum and that's what's used to to essentially make these computations happen right. um and tokens are what's built on top of the Ethereum platform. You can kind of think of it as just like the way I think of it is like the App Store. So Apple has this App Store where they're able to make other people create applications on top of them. And within those applications, people then issue their own currencies, which are used for arbitrary purposes. Mm-hmm. So in Ethereum, a token is just simply a smart contract that is used for a specific purpose within the decentralized application. The creators of these applications will pick what it's used for. It could be Mm -hmm. used for decentralized governance. It could be used for just sending a transaction fee. So the reason a lot of these projects are doing tokens is because it creates network effects. Like once you have this token, you're more likely to use their application. And at the same time, you're able to vote on potentially how the application itself should evolve over time without actually impacting Ethereum itself. As I understand, if Ether is a, the cryptocurrency that's that you're awarded essentially for verifying transactions on the block on the Ethereum blockchain, yeah. similar to how bitcoins are what you're awarded as uh, a prize for memorializing transactions in in Bitcoin. You're you know this is how we get a distributed ledger is we have all these people that are constantly verifying all the transactions. And occasionally, they're going to be awarded Bitcoin for rewarding, for memorializing, for verifying those transactions. Ethereum is a, a more rich development platform that you can build stuff on top of than Bitcoin. So is Ethereum just a superset of the functionality of Bitcoin? Like, why do you need Bitcoin if you've got Ethereum? Well, Bitcoin has a different philosophy on how it operates. So first of all, Bitcoin doesn't have a leader. It doesn't have a centralized force under control. Not to say Ethereum technically does, but it's closer to centralized control with the Ethereum Foundation and Vitalik heading up development efforts. It's a lot easier to get consensus on Ethereum uh, protocol updates, whereas Bitcoin is much slower to change. It's a lot more stable just because it's been around a lot longer. They've It's got a nine-year history now. It's got a much bigger community at the moment. So because of that, it has, it's, it has more stability, which a lot of people like out of their money. They don't want a protocol that's going to be updating rapidly if they're being a bit more conservative about how they want to just have a, a bare instrument or an asset to hold on to. Stability is, is a nice property for money to have. So Really, they just value different value propositions. Mm-hmm. Ethereum is a much uh, better 
platform to do smart contracts, to do decentralized applications, to do decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs, not to be confused with the DAO. So Ethereum has definite advantages over Bitcoin for certain use cases. But if you really just want to be certain that, you know, you're buying something that's going to be around in two decades, Bitcoin probably is still the safer bet. And so it's a safer bet mostly because of the governance. Is that basically what you're saying? Because the because because the, the governance. Uh, I mean, my understanding of the governance is Vitalik and Ethereum are more move fast and break things, and Bitcoin is more like hold back and be conservative in our changes to right. stuff. Like the core devs will often make analogies to rocket engineering or or changing the air, the engine in flight. And that may or may not be apt, but the truth is that Bitcoin does have a longer history. It does move a lot slower, and the protocol is a lot simpler. Mm -hmm. So Bitcoin is a much simpler design. It basically relies on somebody having the unspent transaction output set. So that unspent transaction output set, or UTXO, as you'll often hear them called, that that is all of there is to understanding this current state of affairs on Bitcoin. You have that set of unspent transaction outputs. Along with that will be addresses or kind of requirements to spend those those Bitcoin. And that's it. It's a very simple design. Transactions basically are just modifications to that set of unspent transaction outputs. And it's a very simple easy to understand design. Whereas mm-hmm. Ethereum has an entire virtual machine built into it. It has a, a much broader scripting language on top of it. So it's much more powerful and flexible and extensible, but it's also necessarily more complicated and it's going to take some time for it to mature. Mm-hmm. So we talked about tokens in it, like any app built on Ethereum can issue a token, which is the currency that is used within the app so can I go on Ethereum right now and just like make my own token and it's like I, I have control over all of that currency? Yes, absolutely. So there's things like Token Factory where you can actually go online and just create a token, uh, name it a certain name. You can change the visibility of it. So you can say like how many decimal places you want it want it to be and you can have full control over it and you can issue it to other people. It's just simply an ERC-20 token. And how does that like, what's preventing somebody from just dosing Ethereum and making a bajillion different tokens? And do they do I have to pay Ether to run my application on the Ethereum blockchain? Yeah, so you do have to pay Ether, and they refer to it as gas that you have to pay to actually mm. run an application. So you mm. can just DDoS the network without actually having to pay a cost. Mm. Okay. So what's the process for somebody who wanted to get started with a de- with a decentralized application like do i have to just go buy enough ether to get my application running and yeah you only need a, a small amount of ether honestly it depends on how complex your smart contracts are but mm-hmm. you could just go online and learn how to um, start your first app there's a lot of resources for that mm-hmm. there's some sites that teach you how to learn solidity which is what you need to write the smart contract and it's pretty simple I mean I, I don't have a really um, strong uh, background in, in, okay. in CS but I was able to just write my simple smart contracts and oh. run that and there's also test nets so you could just write a smart contract on the test network without actually having to spend real ether. Ah. So the the topic around Ethereum is often smart contracts, and now we're talking about tokens. Is there a mandatory relationship between 
tokens and smart like if I make a smart contract, does there have to be a token involved or is are these just separate concepts, each of which can be built on built on Ethereum? They're definitely separate. Many there's many possible smart contracts that have no need for a token other than Ethereum itself. Mm-hmm. So with a smart contract, you can do things like crowdfunding. You can, you know, do like escrow, and you can do plenty of of applications that use nothing but Ethereum. So it, it's not required to have an app token or a, another token on top of Ethereum. So if so, I could I could spin up my own token and then also spin up a, a smart contract that officiates some way that users will interact with me and that token. Yes, you can pretty much do anything with a smart contract. Um, And a token is just arbitrary and whatever you want it to be. Is a smart contract, that's a type of decentralized application? A smart contract is a special type of agreement that really codifies how a transaction should be handled. Mm -hmm. So on Ethereum, there's two types of accounts you can have. You can have an account that's backed up by private keys, or you can have an account that's backed up by code. And the second, the latter, where the account is backed up by code is often referred to as a smart contract. And that Uh just means that it's code that is actually in charge of what happens with the balance of that account. So you can invoke functions on that code. You can you can do almost anything. You can build tokens with the smart contract. So to- tokens are just kind of an out, just something that grows out of a, a certain type of smart contract, a special case of a smart contract. But a smart contract is very broad. It, it, it just means logic is going to dictate what happens here. Mm. Now, these different features that we're talking about with Ethereum – these are not necessarily things that Coinbase really has to worry about, right? You you guys are just storing ether or what is what do users of Coinbase want out of an Ethereum Coinbase offering? So, we primarily see ourselves as a brokerage and an exchange. Those are our two main products. In doing those two functions, we obviously need to be a custodian of other people's assets, of customers' assets. So, I think what customers expect from us is really just relentless obsessing over the security of their funds. And that's that's something we do day in, day out, is obsess over the security of the funds. We put that above all else. And then we just try to make it really easy to use. So we're exchanging fiat money or uh, government-issued money for digital currencies is our primary business model. And we just try to make that very easy. Whether you want to use our brokerage, Coinbase, or our exchange, GDEX, the, the point is to make it very easy to get up and running and to get your hands on some of this digital currency was there anything significantly different that you had to do for supporting Ethereum and Ether than you had to do for Bitcoin? So on the operation side, definitely the legal and compliance aspect, because you go back to the regulators and law enforcement, you're like, well, remember we told you about Bitcoin? <laughs> well, there's uh, something called Ethereum and um, there's something called smart contracts. And you, you basically have to have that conversation all over again, mm. but it's even more difficult sometimes. Oh. At least there's like a basis for understanding of what Bitcoin was. So that part was easier. But yeah, I think smart contracts is just like a, another level of understanding. Um, and then on the technical side, maybe Jordan. So on a technical side, you know, we had to, we have a specialized key storage solution for Bitcoin that had to be re-implemented for Ethereum. So that was a rather significant engineering effort just to create a new key management solution for Ethereum. What's different? Well, it's completely different uh, format for the private keys, the address format, the, ah. the the actual monitoring of incoming transactions. We have to basically monitor the blockchain for any transaction that could be going to one of our customers' accounts. So 
it just was a significant undertaking to to launch a second digital currency just because the whole back end had to be reconstructed. Mm-hmm. Laura, can you talk more – sorry, Linda. <laughs> we met today. Linda, <laughs> um, tell me more about the conversations with regulators and people who have no interest in Ethereum from like a casual observer perspective. Yeah, so the conversations generally go really well. We have a a really strong team with a great background. So they, a lot of people actually come from that world or or know how to talk to regulators. They're open to the idea. I think Bitcoin at the start kind of had this connotation of, you know, having been associated with darknet markets, whereas Ethereum was just like this clean slate Mm. of just, there are a lot of developers that really want to just build applications that make it easier for people to use um, in a global sense. So it's not just people in the U.S. who are able to access this. So I think the actual mission of Ethereum, a lot of regulators and law enforcement, from my conversations, have actually really liked it. They Mm. thought it was something ambitious and that it was – They a a few of them have agreed, like, it's really going to change the world. Mm. Was it hard in the initial conversations to – explain like what because like i for example i wouldn't be able to explain to my mom what a decentralized well maybe i could i think if i probably if i spent an hour trying to explain to my mom what a decentralized application is she would understand i guess that's basically the conversation that you're having yeah it really is and i think people understand why something needs to be decentralized if you give them examples of things that have failed in Mm -hmm. the past right so the conversations haven't been too bad it's just it is a it is a step up from bitcoin to ethereum Mm -hmm. um for people what what's the state of I don't know if you listen to the Andreessen Horowitz podcast, but they've been doing a series of well they they've done some recent shows about like blockchain uh, trying like trying to explain to Congress or trying to g- get the upper levels of government to sort of like wake up to the blockchain and potentially use it or at least just be aware of it. Do you know like kind of the status of is blockchain or 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 really any thing in this space is it starting to permeate? areas of government are are there are there advocates within government oh yes absolutely i think the conversation has changed dramatically over the um, past three years that i've been at coinbase at the start there were just a lot of questions a lot of skepticism about blockchain and why anyone would need it and now when we have conversations there are actually proponents within governments and Mm. law enforcement that are like blockchain's really cool guys like listen to what these people have to say about it so the conversation has definitely really changed Hmm. Do do they have like personal interest in it? Like what what gets somebody in government to be a convert to like being a fan of blockchain? I think it's just like how any of us got into it. Okay. I think you just start reading about it and right, being like, right, wow, right. this could change everything. Okay. Um, and we had a few, I had a few law enforcement um, agents that came to me and said they actually use Coinbase to store their Bitcoin mm. on a personal level. So mm. it's very cool. Okay. So the third cryptocurrency that coinbase has decided to offer is litecoin litecoin is similar to bitcoin but has faster transaction times why is that important well the jury's out on whether that's important but that uh, you the common sense would dictate that when somebody sends money they want it to get there as quickly as possible so in that sense it creates a better user experience I, i guess it would i would say that Litecoin, because it has the faster block time, so Litecoin is, is just a fork of Bitcoin. It's it's almost under the hood. They're almost exact, exactly identical. You are pointing out one of the main differences uh, is the faster block time. The other the other main difference being the script mining algorithm, which is 
supposedly um, or attempts to be ASIC resistant. So on the faster block time, Charlie thought that, you know, people want their money to get there faster. So Charlie Lee, the creator of uh, Litecoin. And so he basically made blocks four times as fast. And that also, because it's a fork of Bitcoin, it makes the capacity four times as large because the per block limit is the same. So it, it re- ends up being slightly more capacity with faster throughput, which results in a better user experience. Now, I think one of the other main differences of, of Litecoin is the founder's here and he's a known person and he actually has a significant sway in the community. Bitcoin suffers from a kind of a leaderless, no leader problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's plenty of voices in, in Bitcoin, but none of them have control and none of them have enough influence to really swing the conversation. So we've been in kind of a gridlock for the past three years on how to scale Bitcoin. Whereas Litecoin, Charlie called a meeting and all of a sudden everybody's on the same page. So that, so we are kind of witnessing the differences in terms of the, the governance uh, of the two systems. When I think it's a, a, an interesting story that's going to play out over time. What are the engineering trade-offs that Charlie made when he said, I'm going to make it faster? And like, clearly there must be some disadvantage relative to Bitcoin if you increase speed. Yeah, so the, the the trade-offs that Charlie was weighing when he decided to make blocks come four times as fast with four times the capacity is kind of the – it's a spillover of the, the Bitcoin block size debate in terms of decentralization. So there's a lot of people in the Bitcoin camp that think that increasing the throughput on chain with a, blo- with a block size increase is actually going to – create a lot of centralizing pressure on the miners. It's going to force miners to join pools to stay up to date. It's going to shut a lot of small players out of the market because they just can't keep up with the resource requirements of running a a heftier blockchain. So Charlie said, well, Bitcoin's already got the king of decentralization as far as, you know, it's got way more decentralization than Litecoin. So let's maybe not have to win on the decentralization. Let's try to create a better user experience. Mm. And maybe there will be a little bit more centralization, but that's okay because people really do care about faster confirmation times and and cheaper fees, which you get with more capacity. Is that what Bitcoin is doing with Lightning networks? Like, kind of, tr- you trade off. Well, you get a because with Lightning networks on Bitcoin, you get some more centralization, but you get faster potential transactions, right? Yeah, so whether you get more centralization or not is kind of up in the air because that really depends on the topology of your connections in your network graph. So the idea of Lightning is it's really kind of a genius idea is rather than have every transaction be included in on the blockchain proper, why don't we batch transactions together and only once we're like really need to let's write to the blockchain. So it's kind of a form of write caching. So, you know, when you, when you are writing a lot of data to a spinny disk, you don't just write it as it comes in. You, you wait till you have enough to just write it in one burst. Mm-hmm. And this just creates a much better system, a more robust system. Um, but in the case of Bitcoin, the core developers really don't, think that Bitcoin can scale on-chain. So they want to see layer two solutions of which Lightning Network is the main one that people are pinning their hopes on. So 
There's a lot of ways you can set up a Lightning Network. Lightning Network just means that we're we're not writing everything to the blockchain. We're going to batch updates to the blockchain and, and serialize them all at once, and we're going to save space that way. But the topology of the network is really going to tell us whether this is more or less decentralized. The, the naive way to do a Lightning Network is to have a hub-and-spoke model. Coinbase maybe would even be a part of the, the genesis of this, where Coinbase would spin up a, a hub and everybody else would connect to Coinbase and they would open up a payment channel with Coinbase. And then if people want to pay each other, they simply tell Coinbase to debit from their payment channel and credit the other guy's payment channel. And this is all done off chain. So that is obviously a very centralized way to set up a lightning network, but that's not the Holy grail. That's not what people really want. People they really want is they want kind of, decentralized routing where everybody connects to a dozen other people and through just law of large numbers, you can find a decentralized route from any two points on the network. So if, you know, I need to pay Linda, I might go to you and you might go to Jeff and Jeff might go to Mark and then Mark might go to Linda and I can pay Linda without mm -hmm. even like directly connecting to Linda. So that's kind of the, the, the real vision of Lightning Network, but it's still in the early phases of implementation. And so right now, because Charlie's leading Litecoin and because he's able to push for consensus, Litecoin has actually stepped out front on the Bitcoin roadmap of scaling. So the core devs have, they've always said, let's implement segregated witness uh, which we can get into if you'd like. And then behind segregated witness, we have all these other improvements to scaling without actually increasing the block size. Schnorr signature aggregation is one example of that. Lightning Network is the one that most people are very excited about. Well, Litecoin now is going and they're actually running the test in real life with real value for Bitcoin. So Litecoin has kind of stepped out of the shadows of Bitcoin as a Bitcoin fork and kind of taken charge of, hey, you guys think this is the way? Well, we're going to trailblaze hmm. and show Bitcoin how this can be done. So a lot of Bitcoin core developers have actually migrated to working on Litecoin because it's just a much more harmonious environment because Charlie Lee is there to create a community and it's a smaller community. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice testing grounds for, for Bitcoin. Hmm. So the, the difference, the difference there being, I guess that so Litecoin essentially you get the best of Bitcoin and the best well you well, you get some of the best of Bitcoin and some of the best of Ethereum because you get the the unified leadership in Charlie and you get moving faster and you also have basically the same fundamental simplicity of Bitcoin you're not adding in the whole decentralized app ecosystem so in that world is there uh, I guess Bit Bitcoin still has value there, just by the nature of its conservatism and its its oldness. I mean, you, you, I guess Bitcoin just continues will continue to have value in that conservative world because a lot of people want that. A lot of people don't want the let's move fast, even if it seems objectively good, other than the fact that it's not conservative. Right. So Litecoin does have the best of some worlds. I guess where Litecoin is still catching up is infrastructure and user counts, uh, exchange volume. So kind of some people get really excited about the technology with these digital currencies. Personally, I get much more excited about the money and the transfer of money and wealth and how that's much better facilitated in the new world. 
So Bitcoin has the biggest market cap. It has the most liquidity currently. So Litecoin is playing catch up quite a bit there. So Litecoin is, I think, about a 20th of Bitcoin's market cap and its exchange volume is somewhere around there as well. Hmm. Linda, can you tell me what can people build out of multiple cryptocurrencies? So when you have like multiple cryptocurrencies involved, are there some synergies and stuff I can do? Yeah, so right now, uh, honestly, I don't think there's good enough infrastructure to be building on multiple different cryptocurrencies. But what we are seeing is people building, uh, needing exchange of different Ethereum tokens. And so there's some infrastructure behind that that's already existing. And I'm actually advising one of those projects. Hmm. Um, it's called Zero X. So they envision a world where people are going to be needing to exchange multiple Ethereum tokens as they start using different decentralized applications. And so behind the scenes, people would be exchanging that through smart contracts. And so I think that as the infrastructure gets better for um, multi-blockchain exchange, I think people will start doing that also. So if they want to access a decentralized application on Ethereum, but then uh, they later want a privacy coin as they start doing day-to-day transactions, they might switch to that. But to be honest, the infrastructure just doesn't exist right now, but it will in the future. Mm, okay. So the, the that's an interesting use case, the idea of trading coins i guess we could imagine that if like you know i'm you could build a an airbnb where people have to pay you in your coin or maybe they can trade you their coin for your coin and you can stay at their place next time you're in their area like that would be an example where you would want you could just trade personal tokens absolutely yeah so i i mean i personally envision a world where people have Uh, hundreds of different tokens but they might not actually realize they have it Hmm. um, because it's being stored on um, on maybe an exchange for them or they're it's just being exchanged in the background Hmm. so i want to talk about this article that your ceo brian armstrong wrote earlier this month it's just basically about coinbase's strategy i'm just curious how I guess each of you see it. So this strategy has four steps. The first step of the strategy is to make it easy for consumers to invest in digital currency by building a retail exchange. So what is a retail exchange? It won't be involved in building that. Yeah, so retail exchange is just to us different than um, institutional investors. So retail would just be people like you and me. Uh, who want access to digital currencies. Also, people like maybe merchants who want to accept Bitcoin or Ether as as, um, payment, whereas the institutional side would be like high-frequency traders. These are the ones that need access to something like what we have, GDAX. So they're trading on a daily basis, uh, whereas fees are really important to them, and it's important to have really fast transactions. Whereas like Coinbase is just like maybe a a regular person is just going to just buy Bitcoin store it for weeks, and then maybe use it um, every once in a while to pay a merchant. So mm-hmm. it's not like um, we don't see retail investors as like active traders. So the second step of the strategy will be to enable professional traders and institutions to trade digital currency. And this means higher volume trading. So I feel like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but today most of Coinbase's consumers are, or most of Coinbase's users are like individuals who just want a place to store their Bitcoin, but you want to go to a place where you've got like professional traders and institutions 
that seems like a big change. What what would be involved in, in making that change? So we already have that. So okay. that's our separate product GDAX. Okay. So oh, that's where we're we're trying to split out those platforms and, and have it be its own brand. So Coinbase is that retail uh, um, person where they're just getting access to digital currencies through their bank account. And then we have the pre- professional traders right now that are on GDAX that are trading um, Bitcoin and Ether and Litecoin. Hmm. What's the life of a professional trader on Bitcoin or Ethereum? What's a professional cryptocurrency trader? So I wouldn't know because I don't, I don't day trade while I'm at Coinbase, but I, it is definitely from people I've talked to following a lot of the news that's going on. Huh. Cryptocurrency is obviously a really new area. So there's a lot of development going on in the space. So constantly every single day, I feel like there's new news coming out that affects the price. And so people have to be on top of hearing about developments and news going on in the space are there shorting instruments and derivatives and they're are they like backed by uh like legitimate legalese or is it just like yes yeah we went through a lot of legal process with our margin trading so okay so this is so coinbase offers this this is in Uh, gdax so gdax GDAX offers this yes separate yeah separate product okay is it separate engineering teams like Yes, we have a separate engineering team, but um, some of the code base is still uh, with Coinbase. So we, we're trying our best to separate that out over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. What were you involved in the like getting these derivatives okayed by? So I wasn't. Or- I, I wasn't. Okay, um, I later switched over to a different oh. team, but uh, we have a, a really awesome legal and compliance team who worked on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. The third step of the strategy, and this is the one that starts to get really exciting, is create mass market consumer interfaces to normalize cryptocurrency usage. So when I think about this, I think of like Apple Pay, but for cryptocurrencies, like an Apple Pay level of convenience, hopefully more market penetration than Apple Pay has today. But what does that look like and what like what would be involved what would you have to build to get that mass market consumer interface? Yeah, so we have a version of that right now called Token and you mm. actually go to the App Store and download it. Mm. And what that looks like is just honestly like a WeChat, but your payments are in Ethereum mm. so that anyone in the world can actually use it. And it's WeChat for Ethereum is now able to access decentralized applications and now you can interact directly with them. So we, we have a product for that already, and the problem is trying to get people to build on that, right? So we recently had a hackathon where we um, we gave out prizes for people who built the best apps for that, and it was really cool to see the things coming out of that. We saw something like an app called Earn Chinese where uh, people had to stake some of their Ether on the app and say, okay, I'm going to lock up this amount of Ether and if I don't practice um, each day, then I lose some of that ether. Mm. So you you can come up with all kinds of really interesting applications on top of this. And so we have a, a lot on token already that you can take a look at. Okay. And then fourth is the expansion in the number of ideas tried. So what kinds of things are going to happen? What are we going to see when the mass market starts to get involved in cryptocurrencies? I mean, I think you're just going to see Ethereum and other digital currencies disrupt every single industry you can imagine, mm-hmm. honestly. I think that there's so many middlemen um, right now that are just taking fees, and all they're really doing is kind of like an if-then condition. They're saying, like, if this event happens, then I'm going to do this. And so when you have all these cryptocurrencies being able to take over in that sense, you can cut out a lot of the middlemen. But one of the problems that you have is um, identity and reputation. Like, how can you trust someone? 
So I think that that problem really needs to be solved first before we see a takeoff of all these different applications. But I think that honestly, like every single industry will be disrupted by this. Mm. Okay. Well, I guess just to wrap up, how do you both keep up with this industry? Because there's a lot of information to consume. Do you have any tips for keeping up or just, I don't know, strategies? Yeah. So I think Reddit, honestly, is a very good Hmm. resource. The Ethereum community is really active on Reddit. And so you can just go to our Ethereum and our ETH trader for people that are more um, focused on trading. And I've found all kinds of really interesting things there. There's projects talking about their crowd sale structures, talking about what they're trying to do. There's people debating whether or not projects even need a token. So the whole community pretty much is there. And then I also go to uh, Slack groups of these projects themselves. Uh, there's a, there's often hundreds of people in these Slack groups, and they're mm-hmm. talking about the project themselves. So you can ask questions there. Reddit. I like RBTC, Bitcoin markets, even our Bitcoin on occasion to keep up with the latest Bitcoin news. Although, to be honest, I think a lot of the more interesting stuff happens even in just the lunch halls here at Coinbase or in uh, just various conversations with other enthusiasts when we get a chance to talk to them. Also, I'm a part of the Bitcoin Core Slack. I do sometimes read the Bitcoin dev mailing list because that's where a lot of the developer dialogue and debate occurs. So it's just a good place to keep tabs on the Bitcoin scaling drama. Yeah. What's the the status of that? (laughs) The scaling drama? Yeah, so (laughs) the changes every day right now. Uh, I think... You know, today is was what the twentieth Wednesday. Eighty percent of the hash rate is now signaling for the New York Agreement, which is a also known as the Silbert Accord. So this this guy, he's one of our investors, Barry Silbert. He put together, he got together all of his crypto investments and invited the miners and the core developers. The developers de- declined to decline the invitation, but in New York a few weeks back, they all kind of sat around a table and agreed to do SegWit first and then two megabyte hard fork. It sounds a lot like the Hong Kong agreement from a year and a half ago, but this time it's looking a lot more promising. The uh, 80, more than 80% of the hash rate signaling for it. This is, this is also known as SegWit 2X. So SegWit 2X looks like it's gaining momentum. The, Jeff Garzik's in charge of the BTC1 project, which is implementing the Silbert Accords of the New York agreement. And they have an alpha released. The idea is to start signaling and get SegWit activated for August 1st, which is the, the flag date for the user-activated soft fork. So if you've seen any of those camo-like hats on uh, Twitter with UASF, uh, that's what that is. The, that's a movement from within the, the core supporters to say, to hell with it. Like, we really want to get SegWit activated. The miners are messing this up. Let's Let's activate SegWit with or without their support, and hopefully they'll they'll join us. So this could have been a very disruptive event, but it looks like Sanity will prevail and SegWit2x will get adopted by the miners. We will get SegWit activated in a compatible way with the UASF, UASF people. And fingers crossed, Bitcoin scaling drama may be paused for a couple of years. Mm. We'll, we'll actually see if that goes through in the next coming months. Mm. Okay, I need to do a show really devoted to that topic i've too there have been too many shows where i've like tangentially talked about segregated witness and the scaling drama and i'm like cool i'm out of my comfort zone instantly and don't know what i'm talking about happy anyway. to do it yeah okay well um 
Well, great talking to both of you. Thanks, Linda and Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.